Recorded live from the fabulous Feta building in Rochester, New York, welcome to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her as well. On the podcast today, we're welcoming back Rochester's most well-known TV personality. Penny, why are we welcoming you back? You work behind the scenes in television, but you are the area's most recognized transgender person. No, no, Amy, that's we're not welcoming back me. Besides, I was not the one that was out gallivanting on their birthday last weekend. Well, it was a well-earned gallivant. I'm sure it was. And we're welcoming back your friend and mine, Rachel Barnhart. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, today we'll be discussing with Rachel how bridging the digital divide will transform our area and make for a more equitable society. Believe it or not, this issue can trace its origins back to redlining, which has left many urban neighborhoods lacking opportunities to break decades of systematic levy depression. But before we can take on systematic levy depression, we need to do the traditional music swell and fade out. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loonie, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses. And by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Amy Stevens. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her as well. We have a very special guest today, Amy. Yeah, it's another returning guest. How about that? Yay! Yay, we love returning guests. And today we're going to be talking again with Rachel Barnhart, but this time we're not going to be talking about, I don't think anything too controversial, but you never know with Rachel what happens, right? Controversy just finds me, right? Yeah, we were, we were looking through your Twitter feed before before you got here this evening. We're just like the comment sections. It's like a dumpster fire every day. Well, you know, pol- politics, right? So I think we should be able to talk about politics and have really civil discourse without attacking each other personally for our views and for maybe even the candidates that we like. Because the odds are we all want the same things. And maybe we just have different ways that we want to get there. But yes, there was there's a tremendous amount of things going on right now in the National Democratic 
presidential primary, and that took up a lot of my Twitter feed today, as you probably saw. Well, Mayor Pete, we just saw breaking within the last couple hours of suspending his campaign. So I was I was surprised, but I not surprised. Too. I thought he'd at least stay through till Super Tuesday. You know, he had a really historic candidacy. When you look at what he was able to accomplish as the mayor of South Bend to be such a fundraising juggernaut, to get so many votes, to inspire so many young people, particularly LGBTQ youth, the videos that we've seen of him interacting with young people who didn't ever think they would see someone like him running for president or someone like themselves running for president. I, I think that um, his candidacy was was special. I thank him for everything that he has done, and I know that he is not going away. I can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah, yeah I think with his age, he has a great opportunity for generational change. I kind of put him in the same Maybe Bucket is Barack Obama at some level? Yeah, at some level. I, I'm glad to see he's, honestly, I'm glad to see he's leaving the can. If, if he's leaving the candidacy, I could see him as a senator, uh, something a little more seasoned. He's, he's, his, his, his star is still rising. It is. I, you know, he, he wasn't my candidate, but I loved him all the same. I thought he did a lot of really good things. There were things that were vexing to me, but, you know, when he fought with Liz Warren or fought with Amy Klobuchar, I just thought, guys, you know, can, can, and, and I'm not saying that he was the only one to blame, by the way, but uh, I, I really, um, I really wish him well. And I, I really would like to see what he does next. I, th I think he's going to be in the cabinet. That's what I think. Whoever wins, I think he's going to end up having a role. That'll be fun. And now with Pete Buttigieg out of the race, the youngest male candidate in the Democratic uh, primaries is Joe Biden. I'm not okay with with Biden and and Bernie. Uh, I think they're I, I do. And Bloomberg, the killer Bloomberg. bees, the killer the, bees at the top I, of the I order. I guess I'm just really disappointed that the old guys ended up being old white the, guys. Old white guys ended up being at the front of the pack. And I think you know we're still hearing the same old debates about women and are they electable and their temperament. I mean, if you looked at my Twitter feed, then you saw some of the responses when I talked about Elizabeth Warren today. She's angry. She's preachy. Mm -hmm. She she's just not nice. Well, we we're have we heard this stuff before, right? I mean, that's kind of the story of my life, right? Every day I walk around and people say these things about me. So I, it just viscerally, it just really hurts me to see Elizabeth Warren, this incorruptible woman who has fought big business and fought for the little guy her entire career being turned into this liar, this disingenuous liar. I, I, it's just been hard to watch. Yeah, I, I follow uh, Charlotte Clymer on Twitter. And she's she's an amazing uh, amazing presence on there, and she was talking about and, it, and I don't know if she was part of the she she started or she just 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 played off of it. All of these people who like yeah you know Warren's people contacted me and they wanted to talk they wanted information about this about you know about my about the whatever minority they happened to be or whatever issue they were passionate about. They are. The, the, the Elizabeth Warren is very interested in it. It, it. She is the she is the anti-Trump. She's listening. She is trying to help. She is formulating plans. She is willing to change her plans should her plans figure out should should she get a better idea should she hear a better idea. She is willing to do it. She's willing to um She's willing to 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 give credit where credit is due. Just an amazing human being, and I would really. I, I haven't endorsed anybody. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a working family party uh, candidate a, a member in uh, in New York State. There's nothing that I can do in the primaries that's going to change anything. But um, I would really like to see her make a make a make a difference. Yeah, in the I, I'm definitely with her and. Um, 
I don't know. I, you know, I, I guess I lean Bernie for my second choice. I'm a progressive. I just am. I lo- I really do like Amy Klobuchar, even though she kind of puts you to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my, let me run this question by you here real quick, because one of the things I, you know, a lot of people say a hard left candidate progressive like a Sanders or or Elizabeth Warren can't win. But if you look at what's going on on the Republican side, Trump is not running to the middle. Trump runs to his base and picks up from there. And so I don't understand why in the left or in the democratic circles, we're talking about the, you know, staying in the center space when that's just not the way politics work today, you need to start and rally your base and build from there. So well, those are the two different theories, right? The two different theories are one, you need to get the swing voters in the middle. And usually they're talking about white people. There aren't and, any left. And second, you're talking about the non-voters and those voters tend to be young. They tend to be people of color. And those voters are swing voters, too. We just don't think of them. They don't waffle between Democrat and Republican. They waffle between not voting and Democrat. And so this is um, this is a fundamental problem, right? Which is which is more important? I would argue, uh, I think that we make a little too much of these swing voters. I think we need to go and try to get more people in, involved in the process and get them out to vote. And every single poll shows the Democrat, each Democratic candidate doing well against Donald Trump. Are you familiar with Rachel Bidekofer? No. She is a, uh, she is the, she, in the last election, she like almost right down to the, to the legislative district, nailed just about every single um, uh, race in the, in the midterm elections. And her theory is that there is no such thing as a swing voter. And that she, and, and now people are starting to listen to her. She's like a, uh, she was like a, a, an unemployed single mother uh, who worked her way through these things, and uh, and she works at some college that you know, directional college, like University of Northern South Dakota or something like that. But she's that's really, a lonely place. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the Hoople campus is not good. But anyway, I forget where she is. That's not where she is. But she is like really smart, and she's really sure about herself. And she's like, there's no such thing as a swing voter. You got to play to your strengths. And I really love, I love reading about what she says because it's it's like anti. Uh, Status quo. Mm-hmm. So uh, hopefully that's, but that's not what we're going to talk gonna, about. I was just going to. That's okay. We got to talk a little politics. Okay. That's right. I was going to go get the fish. <laughs> well, don't worry. What we're going to talk about does touch on politics, especially local politics. So what we're here today to talk about, Rachel, is her master's thesis. Yes, it's more of a capstone project capstone? is what they called okay. it. I got my master's in public administration from Syracuse University's Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs. Uh, I completed my degree last fall. I was so excited to uh, to have to have finished and I learned so much through the program. And I chose to study bridging the digital divide because about one out of every three households in the city of Rochester does not have a high-speed broadband internet connection at home. And I wanted to explore the scope of the problem and how it is impacting our lives, our economy, our city, and maybe what could be done about it. So as, as you look at that, I mean, what's the overall history of the internet and connectivity in, in Rochester then, and, and in, in maybe even a little bit broader Monroe County, since we're sure. talking our neighborhood? Well, as you can imagine, there, this this issue closely correlates with poverty and education. If you were to map the census tracts that have a high rate of households without internet, it very closely follows the map of poverty in the city. It, this is definitely uh, an issue countywide, but it is far more of an issue in the city. And so 
those dark areas on the map you just gave Penny are, yep. and you can read actually, you can actually read my paper on rachbarnhart.com. Uh, there's a whole section called bridging the digital divide and you can download it. And so this, this problem closely correlates with money. So why? Well, for one reason, people will say, I cannot afford uh, to have internet at home. We know that a broadband subscription can cost some big bucks, whether it's on your smartphone or whether it's a hardwired connection. We also know that if you don't have uh, education, you may not feel you need the internet or you may not be confident in your skills to use the internet, and you may not have the equipment that you need. We call that you're not digitally ready. You're, you're really not ready to use the internet. You might not, you might need some classes. So giving you the internet isn't really gonna solve the problem because you may not know how to maximize the internet's potential. So those are two problems. Um, and then we also have this one group that I wanna highlight. These are the smartphone only folks and they're growing and mm -hmm. they do tend to have less education and less income. And these are folks saying, look, I don't need a hardwired wired internet connection. I have everything that I need on my smartphone. But we know that smartphones, uh, believe it or not, we can't do everything on our smartphones. We can't telecommute to our jobs. We can't take online classes. Children can't do a big research paper on their smartphones. At least I don't think I could do one. I think, you know, you, you really need access to a laptop. And so smartphones um, have very limited capability. We also know that using smartphones as hotspots is something that most plans don't allow unless you pay a lot of money because there are data caps. Yeah. So how do you get so how do you get the citizenship digitally ready then? There are a number of different ways to do this. For example, the public library has classes where you can um, at, you can actually learn about Microsoft Word. You can learn how to apply for a job. You can learn how to apply for benefits. And there are a lot of things that you can learn how to do at the public library to use. And or you could just go and surf and teach yourself. One limitation with that is obviously it's not your house. Uh, another limitation is the library's hours are really horrible. Um, they close uh, many of them at six o'clock, seven o'clock. They may not be open on Sundays, some of the city branches. Um, I don't think any of the city branches are, to be honest with you. So the library is really not a solution for this. And then you could say, well, you could go to cafes or you could go to Wegmans. If you go to those neighborhoods that I mapped out that have the dark spots where um, there's black, blacked out uh, internet, there are not a lot of cafes right. <laughs> that no. have the free internet connections yeah, where you can lounge and sit all day. Yeah, that, I've heard that called the poverty crescent. It's where so many yes. uh, intersectionally disadvantaged people live. And it was called the Crescent because if you were to map poverty in Roch in the city of Rochester, it does look like a crescent, a moon around downtown. Yeah. So now we know, because we've just discussed this whole issue of digitally, being digitally ready, that we can't just give people the internet. There are lots of things that you could do if we were to suddenly give everyone in Rochester internet. There are things that we can do to make the population more digitally ready. You could That's where you have your community agencies involved. You can have classes. You can have door-to-door -door outreach. There's a number of different things that you can do. But you can't just simply give people the internet and say this is solving the problem. And you also have to define the problem, right? So let's back up a few steps. What's the problem? Why do we care? Why do we care that people don't have the internet? Well, if you don't have the internet, you cannot fully participate in our economic, 
social, recreational, and civic life. You are really cut off from the information superhighway. And our economy right now is moving at the speed of light. Rochester's economy is growing in the tech center sector. We have all these middle skill jobs that are, we're told are, are not filled. And yet we have one out of three households that don't have the basic tools to access knowledge in our society. And so that's the problem, and that's why we care. Okay, is, there, is it available to them? That's the next question. Yes, is it- that is a great question. We know that there's a barrier, right? So we've, we've, now, we've talked about education, and we've also talked about money. And if you solve the money problem, it goes a long way. It doesn't do, it doesn't go everywhere. It doesn't go everywhere. But let's talk about the money for a second, right? Because how many times we, we all hate our cable company, right? We all hate, we all hate our providers of, of that utility. I and mean, it should be treated like a utility. Do we have a monopoly? Do you think we have a monopoly? Yeah, pretty darn close to it. I mean, you got green light, but that's only available in select areas. Every place else, it's spectrum. Yeah, and I read, I did, did some research on this. My professor actually stopped me from calling it a monopoly. I'm like, well, everybody thinks it's a monopoly. I mean, what choice do I really have if I want really high-speed quality internet? I have to get spectrum in my neighborhood. I live in the Beachwood neighborhood. He stopped me from saying, well, it's not really a monopoly. I mean, you have other choices. You have your AT&T, Verizon. You have Frontier. I mean, you have other choices. What this, what economy call the problem that we have. It's, it is similar to Monopoly. We have product differentiation. We have one product in the, in the wired space, cable, or um, in places that have green light. We have one product in many areas in Monroe County that is just so far superior that yeah. it does feel like a monopoly because what choice do we really have? Frontier's internet is so much slower. It's much more sporadic. Um, it's very dependent on distance. And, um, and, and you're not really getting that much bang for your buck. Green light... We call it redlining the city of Rochester. Really? It, oh, yeah. If you look at where they have um, placed their lines, they're not in poor neighborhoods. Their business model is they're very capital intensive, and they need to have a certain number of subscriptions in order for them to go into your neighborhood. They'll also tell you that they're having problems getting easements with the city, and the city is difficult to work with. I'm no um, kidding. It, you know, even if that's Can true. Can confirm, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, even if that's true, you know, that's another thing that has to be solved. But if you look at the map, Greenlight, um, is clearly not, it's not coming to my neighborhood. I live in a high poverty neighborhood. It is not coming to my neighborhood. And that's a problem. And that's really not equitable and it's not fair. Uh, so, so that, so that's, a huge barrier to solving this issue that there are no, there are not enough providers. Now you could have spectrum say to yes, 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 Penny and Amy, but we have these, we have low income programs. You can sign up for our service for like $14.95 a month. We'll give you a free modem. Um, but the problem with those services are, A, they're not marketed well. B, you, you, you can't have a current subscription with them. You can't have any outstanding bills. You have to have a child who's getting, um, who you have to have a child in the school system. That, that leaves a lot of people out. <laughs> and and um, studies show that these programs are not being taken advantage of. And frankly, $15 a month for many families is actually a lot. Well, and you mentioned in your paper too, that there was actually a pilot a proposal for the city, the somebody or the school district to actually move it down to about ten dollars, but the but the cable company refuses. So what do you do? You know, if you are trying to even through the school district to get that out there. Yeah, the city school district has tried really hard to work with providers, to work with the city and the county, to do a municipal project, and the um, the. They, they, are, they have now turned to philanthropy. So they are now working with a foundation that has, I believe it's associated with Sprint or T-Mobile. 
Um, they they have 4,000 hotspots to give to high school students. Um, it, these aren't super high speed, but they, they allow for some basic stuff, basic web surfing at home to get your papers done. And um, philanthropy is not a solution. Philanthropy can go away tomorrow. Philanthropy doesn't reach everyone. Uh, it's a nice stopgap measure. I'm really glad the district was able to do this, but this is not a solution. So what's the solution? Yeah, more internet. More internet and more uh, government involvement in it. More regulation. I hate to say it, but but real quick, as long as we're still on education, though, I mean, the, what I see going on here. You mentioned this in your paper. Is there's so many STEM jobs. There's so many jobs that revolve around technology. So there's a very vested interest for the school district to kick out and our area as a whole to kick out graduates from our biggest school system here in the area that are internet ready and can use technology. So that puts us behind the eight ball if we're trying to bring in new larger companies because they're going to look at our workforce and our investment in internet and technology. One study that I read as part of my research, it was really sad. It, it cited kids who have internet at home, they're, they explore all the time, they explore their interests. They, uh, they learn about things that they wanna learn about and kids who don't have that don't really have that same capability and they're already behind. So we there are a number of different solutions that we can take a look at. Um, the one that everyone always talks about is municipal internet. And what does municipal internet means? It means that there's some level of government ownership and involvement. And that can take many different forms. You could have the full-on government owns it, runs it. It's like a full retail operation, full service retail. You could have a public-private partnership where maybe government owns the lines and contracts with you to run it, or government owns part of the infrastructure contracts with you to build the rest of it and run it. There are a lot of different types of models where government and private industry share the risk. And then there's, uh, well, let's just keep begging <laughs> private industry to solve the problem, which I don't believe is going to work. And then you also have the question of the technology. So you've got these models, and then you have the question of the technology. Do we want to do fiber to the home, which is the gold standard, fiber lasts forever, and um, and that's really labor, labor and capital intensive. It could cost $100 million to wire every home in the city. Um, however, uh, or we could do Wi-Fi. Uh, we could take we could take existing Wi-Fi networks owned by government and, um, and, and try to beam those to target areas. Uh, and, and that could be very effective. We shouldn't let the technology dictate the policy. We should first figure out what's the problem we're trying to solve, how can we solve it, what are the resources involved, get everyone around a table, and that's what, the first thing that we should do. Um, you know, a fiber to the home network owned by the municipality would be like, that would be like la la land. That would be kind of wonderful. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what we can get done, and that is the best solution to this problem. Well, you're talking about fiber. Monroe County has a huge yes. fiber network. So, but, and it seems like it's very underutilized. So what's, what's going on with that right now? So glad you brought that up. Part of my research unearthed, um, thank you to Monroe County for giving it to me. I asked for a study that had been done by taxpayers a few years ago that had never seen the light of day. Um, we had taxpayers paid for this thing and Monroe County just put it on a shelf. 
Monroe County had the foresight to actually build out, um, to lay fiber lines all across the county. Um, they have a really extensive fiber network with hundreds of miles of, of fiber in which 80% of it is just sitting there unused. Meanwhile, we have a number of government institutions from towns, villages, libraries, even some schools that are paying for their own fiber. And what this consultant essentially said was, what Monroe County should do is make this network carrier class. And what that means is upgrade the network so that other people can jump on. First, let's let government jump on. Everyone can save some money. Unify the network. Even get the city of Rochester to jump on. Let's just unify the network and first get governments to save money. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that governments could potentially save, including the county, which also leases fiber lines, even though it has its own lines. They just never really built the network in a way that can be used. Now, that would cost money. Ultimately, down the line, though, you'd be preparing for the future. Well, the next step, of course, after you make this carrier class is to explore that option. Okay, well, now can we let the public use this residential service, business service? What else can we do with this network? I personally believe that a free fiber internet network for homes and uh, in the city of Rochester, and, and I say the city just because the needs are so great, but a free fiber internet network for the city and um, a low cost one for businesses would be, to me, economic development all day long. Do they have uh, what's known as the final mile on these? I mean, how do you how you've got if you've got a big trunk fiber trunk line there? Where where do you where do you where do you connect to it? The, the, that that final mile from the from yeah. the distri distribution to the homes is where the is where the real money. Yeah, so that's the problem to solve, right? That's that last mile problem that scares yeah. the crap out of everyone who ever has this uh, government person who ever has this conversation. Right. How do we do this last mile problem when you're talking about bringing service to customers? The last mile problem is a problem if you're talking about fiber to the home. That's right. when it becomes like a, and it becomes really expensive and you, and you have to decide who is going to take that risk. Is it going to be a private company or is it going to be the government? Who's going to own it? Who's going to run it? I mean, there are different, models to varying success all around the country. But what we do have to admit to, or to ourselves is probably it won't be profitable. <laughs> like we have to just say to ourselves, this is something that would be a public good. And um, any any government official telling you, we'll make the money back. Yeah, okay, it's probably not going to happen. you got to do it for other reasons. But I look at it like this. How much do we spend on our roads? We just spent how much money? $100 million on redoing 390. Um, you know, we- You're not going to get that money back either. Right, we do, right. We do massive infrastructure projects of the same scale on a regular basis in this area. So this is not, these numbers shouldn't be that freaking scary, but it, we just, but we look at it, we have this mentality where, and, and other communities that have done municipal internet have been tripped up by this. We have this mentality where you shouldn't get something for free because you didn't earn it. Yeah. Well, that's American capitalism in a nutshell. And I mean, and, and you know, it's one of the things I was thinking about driving down here today, you know, after reading your, your paper is, you know, all this stuff is money. And if you're going to lump this into this necessity of living thing, like housing and utilities, you know, water, lights, all that other stuff. I mean, this stuff should be affordable for everybody. This shouldn't be break the bank type of stuff. And this is the stuff that can create opportunity and for advancement. One of the things we said in our intro before you get in before. Where is it here? Let me let me go up and re. I I coined a new term today because, I, but I think it's really goes back here. It's systematic levied oppression, mm. and and that's what we do. I mean, if you look at the map that you shared with us in your paper, 
that those that map you could probably overlay the, the redlining map from the 1930s and banking and mortgages right over the top of that and they're going to line up yeah and and yes we have had major disenfranchisement and and part of that is with infrastructure part of that is with investments and i would really like to see a solution that um, connects bridges. You know, we talk about bridging the digital divide. We bridge. We build bridges that are real that roads can go over. Well, now we need to build bridges that um, connect people to the internet. Uh, information bridges, and so I don't. This is not an easy problem to solve. So I think one of the things that um, was very eye opening to me when I ran for office previously, I said we we need fiber to the home, like. We need we need fiber to the home, and we still may, by the way. But I definitely ran on we're going to use the Monroe County Fiber Network, and this is what we should do. When I did this whole paper, though, I realized this is really complicated, <laughs> and there are other solutions as well that were worth considering. And it really opened. I'm still very passionate about the issue and believe it needs to be solved. But I I, lear I definitely learned that this is really really complicated. What would be the what would be the first best step from where we are right now? In your in your in your uh, very yes. learned estimation, that is an excellent question. I think the first thing that we should do is form a Monroe County Fiber Task Force. This task force should be made up of uh, a couple politicians from the city and the county. It should be made up of um, technology experts, school experts, um, and and I and I believe that that task force should sit down and de and define the problem um, and start to really explore solutions. It will need to be funded. Um, a consultant may need to be hired um, and to really dive into this issue, talk to people in the community, like, what do you need? I guarantee you some people won't say that this is a big priority. I can't pay my rent and you're trying to give me internet. You know, what's going on? Um, you have to be really clear about the problems you're trying to solve and, and, and what people want and what you, because you have to get public support and you also have to meet people's needs. Um, if, if you're going to go out and spend a lot of money for something that people really don't want, it probably won't solve the problem. But, but you bring this up in your paper. People aren't outraged about this. So how but do But they are because we just okay. talked, but we, but they are right. We're all outraged by our limited choices. <laughs> We're all outraged by the state of the city school system. We're all outraged by poverty. We're all outraged by, uh, by people who are chronically unemployed. We are all outraged by the lack of opportunity. Um, and we all hate our cable company. So <laughs> I, I do think we, ha we are outraged about this issue, it, but it but it manifests itself in other ways. Certainly, we're all really, really not happy with our public, um, with the, with our providers, with our internet service providers. Well, yeah, and I'm fortunate enough where I live in Arondacoit, so I do have green light. And you know, but but there's also that barrier of entry because I mean, it's fifty dollars a month for a decent service, but it's also a hundred dollars for the hookup. Mm. And they used our property for an easement, so we got the $100 fee waived. But still, I mean, that's, that's still... That is a barrier. For people in my neighborhood, that is a barrier. And and I think it's also a matter of priorities. Then we start to get really judgy about people and how they spend their money. But, you know, for many families, a smartphone is a wiser investment than a hardline internet. For, I mean, if you had to choose right now, right now, choose, do you want your smartphone or do you want your hardwire internet? I'm going to say my smartphone <laughs> because I can take it with me everywhere. <laughs> I can't take my computer at home with me everywhere if I don't have uh, an immediate Wi-Fi access. 
Well, my issue is where I live is I'm up by the lake. And so, you know, I start to lose signal up there. So I, for my house, we have to have a hardwired option mm-hmm. because you know, the cell phone signal is just not reliable. Right. And, and you, yeah. and you address this in your paper too, you know, that's part of the issue. We live in an 1880 farmhouse that has, you know, plaster walls and it's on the downslope. To the, so a Wi-Fi and those other options that you mentioned have limitations because of line of sight and buildings and radio, you know, waves and going through stuff and everything else. So I love it when you talk technical, Amy. Yeah, I know. It's well, so the cute. FCC considers neither to be really adequate. The FCC says you really need both to be fun- really highly functioning in our society. Well, yes. I agree with that. Yeah, you need both. You need both landline and you need Wi-Fi. Both are really important. Both have limitations. Um, you know, the mobility factor is huge. And and some people also say, well, five G, five G is coming. Okay, five G is not going to be free, guys. Right. <laughs> and and it may not be coming as fast as you think it's going to come. Uh, and and I don't. I see five G having many of the same issues. It's not. A, I'm I'm on a phone that's five G capable. It's it's not. The, it's the reliability is not there for it. Some days I'm on a tower and it's five G. Next day I'm there and barely getting three G. So the, the, I've noticed some reliability issues with it. So it's it's not it's nowhere near where it should be. But when it works, it works great. But that's like anything with technology. So, but you mentioned something, and so you said a a government task force to oversee this. Our government officials, especially in different parts of government, love to talk to each other so frequently. So how do we get county and city government entities to talk to each other well, here in I think a task area? force is a low-risk thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what do we have to really lose in a task force situation? I mean, I suppose you could, everyone could walk out of the room really hating each other at the end of the process. But they already do. Mm, some, <laughs> yes, many do. Um, but I think a task force is a somewhat low-risk proposition where you could, and, and, there's, and there's no gun to your head to say, um, you know, you have to decide this tomorrow. I think there's an opportunity to get people who real, really care about the issue and really um, want to solve it in, in a room together. Economic development officials should be part of it as well. And I, I think there's an opportunity to, to at least start this conversation, map out a plan of how we're going to tackle it, and then just say, okay, here, here's, here we've, we've completed our work. Here's what we think needs to happen. And here's what would, it would take to make this happen. Um, and I think, um, and I think there, I think that's what we should do. I I don't think you can make a decision tomorrow. I think you have to, um, do due diligence and bring people along and, um, and see what happens. Every time I talk about this issue, uh, of course you have some hard right people making fun of me, free internet for everyone. Um, but no one, they'll make fun of you if you say, Hey, it's a nice day outside. So it's like Rachel Barnhart on on Twitter just said, it's a blue sky. Dang it. I know. I know. But, but no one says to me, this is dumb. You know, I don't get, I don't get a lot of pushback from people saying you should spend your time talking about something else. When I talk about this issue, I do think there's public support for the issue. I think what, where, where people start to get a little crazy is if you were to put price tags on them that um, just really freak people out. This is a very conservative community. The Fast Ferry was the last big thing we did, and, the, and everyone is freaked out about uh, having another Fast Ferry. And I think any big project that we do is immediately branded, it's another Fast Ferry. And, and I think that would be really sad if we approached a technology project like that. Do you have or is there any champions of this sort of idea in the legislature right now in any place yes. in, in local government? 
Yeah. So Howard Mafucci, my colleague, um, I wouldn't call him a champion of it, but he completely agrees with me. He's the former superintendent of East Rochester and his school district did look into something similar when he was superintendent. They didn't end up pulling the trigger on it. And I know people like city councilwoman Mary Lupian, this is an issue on her radar. This is an issue on the radar of a lot of people, but it is such a kind of a big thing to chew um, that I don't think that anyone has really provided any leadership. It's not a priority. And I believe it should be a priority. I believe edu I believe this is directly tied to economic development, directly tied to education. Um, I really believe that. So you, are there any other communities that are doing this that we can look to and say, okay, this is a model that we can emulate? Chattanooga. Chattanooga, Tennessee did this, and they not they they actually put their electrical grid on their fiber uh, system, um, which ended up being a, a really a smart grid. Ended up being a really great project. But yes, Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, is famous for doing a fiber to the home project, a municipal project, and they claim it did lead to job creation, a culture of startups. And one could say that we have that this that now, but we know that we're struggling in this community. Um, at the, the nicest thing that we can say is we're sort of treading water, uh, you know, which is better than some of our other upstate uh, counterparts, but we're treading water. And I think that there's opportunity for growth, but the other thing is, aside from the metrics like unemployment and are, even, and are we creating jobs, and even if we were growing economically, we know that a ton of people are being left behind. Yeah, not just in Monroe County. I mean, you, from on a state level, there, there's got to be other communities in New York State, uh, like, I don't know, Syracuse, Buffalo, Binghamton, that probably have similar issues. Buffalo's, uh, so Erie County Executive, uh, just announced they're spending $20 million to build the exact kind of backbone network that Monroe County already has, the, a backbone fiber network. Then this is something that other communities are already doing, and Monroe County has something that other communities would kill for. We have a lot of fiber already in our community. And it's not being utilized. Is it, and I don't want to say, I don't want to say, is it stale fiber, but is it the sort of fiber that we need? I mean, has it? Yes. So my understanding from talking to the people who did the study is that, you know, they say the fiber lines only last 30 years. They, they last. Um, fiber, fiber is supposed, is fiber, you put that stuff in the grounds and it's there. Yeah. My, my dad, I, I'm from Corning and my dad was a research and development. Oh, yeah. His last project that he worked on was on fiber optics. So. That was, I, that was kind of like teeing you up there. Um, but really, it's, so the, the reason why I ask that is because there's got to be, on a state level, is there anything that you can do here? Well, <laughs> there was the broad, so that's a really good I question. Wish, I wish there was a video just to see the expression on your face when I asked that question. Yeah. So that's a really good question because the governor did have this $500 million broadband now initiative, um, but it was really focused on rural areas. And, and our rural communities absolutely need attention because they, they don't have broadband at all. They have a different problem. They have an access problem. We have an adoption problem. Um, I mean, I suppose if you can't pay for it, it's access, but you know, our problem is a little bit different. The Rochester City School District tried really hard to get a grant from that Broadband Now program, and urban areas were totally cut off. And you know, my understanding is that Cuomo put someone in charge of the Broadband Now who had ties to the industry, and we all know that the broadband industry wants nothing to do with what Rachel Barnhart is proposing at all. Um, you know, th this is an industry that gives gobs and gobs of campaign donations to Governor Cuomo, to our Congress representatives, to our state representatives. And it's going to be, and, and they will fight like hell to make sure there is uh, not a municipal network in Rochester, New York. 
Well, yeah, and you, you, you outlined that in your paper, and I'm pulling it up right now. I mean, the Cablevision, Comcast, mm -hmm. AT&T, the like, you know, have contributed, as of your writing of this, over $660,000 just to Governor Cuomo. It's crazy. The, 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 from, the, that, from a number of different companies, yes, but, but it's crazy. But this, but this is, but this is both sides of the aisle here in Monroe County. I mean, forty-five thousand for forty-five thousand plus for the Monroe County Democratic Committee, yeah. and and um, thirty-two for the Republicans. Yeah, that that's so that that's big local money coming into you know even your parties, you know, or I just, oh yeah, you know. So I mean. Yeah, listen, I, can't, I complain about campaign finance all the time. This is why we need reform. You can draw the dots between the policy decisions and the donations. And no one will admit it, but it it's true. Well, no, and you're probably the most direct person, I think, in politics where you follow the money probably closer than anyone. So, and, and that's why you have so many friends, Rachel. Well, that's why I have a big target on my back. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're in this race for president, even, you know, Bernie, Elizabeth. I mean, you do hear people talk a lot about campaign finance reform. I think it's really important. I think most Democrats now understand that we need it. You do have some Democrats, though, saying, well, until the rules change, I'm going to engage in the arms race. I, I don't like that reasoning. We've had candidates um, prove that that you don't need the, the pet corporate PAC money. Um, you know, our Congressman Joe Morelli takes it, <laughs> takes a lot of it, um, definitely from big telecom. It's very concerning to me um, because the little guy like us, we need to be able to have the same influence as the big telecom companies, and I don't think that we do. Well, I, for one, am glad that you're fighting the way you fight. Um, <laughs> it's got to be exhausted. I'm just exhausted thinking about everything that you've done here, and you've been doing it for so long. It's it's a little exhausting now that I'm a county legislator. I joined the legislature in uh, late September. It's exhausting um, not the work. I love the work. I really am enjoying learning about learning more about government, learning how to best serve, how to be effective. Um, but it's the relationship piece is exhausting because you you don't. I mean, people are all over the map, and they get really they take everything personally. <laughs> A lot of people take things personally. So right now we have all these people running in primaries. I have colleagues running in primaries. And it's just really difficult to navigate a lot of these relationships um, within my own party, not even starting to begin the Republicans. But it's really difficult. Wow. Well, I'm really glad you took some time out of what sounds like an exhaustingly busy life to come in and chat with us about it's this. Not, it's really not that bad at all. I love it. And um, and this is a passion. And um, I'm giving a couple of presentations soon about bridging the digital divide. So you guys struck when the iron was hot. Yes. Uh, you know, all I do is tweet about this issue a lot. Um, <laughs> and I put my paper out there. And I was a little nervous when I put my paper out there because, you know, this isn't a piece of academic work. And I'm thinking, what if I made a mistake? What if I have a footnote that's not there? And you know, but uh, but so far, no one no one has dug through it and found anything uh, wrong. Um, and of course, if anything's wrong, I'll fix it. But it's really hard to put yourself out there like that. <laughs> well, you do it all the time, and we appreciate it. And you know, one of the things, if you don't agree with you, fine. You know, you shouldn't have to deal with the personal attacks. But I think it goes back to like what we were talking about. You know, being a woman and being vocal, you're going to draw that attention to you. But I hope I hope nobody mistakes your passion for this city, for our area. And I hope they can respect that because I know Penny and I both do. Well, thank you so much. And thank you both for everything that you are doing. And I certainly hope this is the second of many visits to come. We that like would me. be fantastic. Yep. You know, I'm going to be in, uh, in, in DC 
I've heard that rumor. Uh, yeah, and in and, and a, and a couple of weeks. So there's a uh, a guest co-host position that uh, that uh, a former broadcaster might be interested in filling. Oh, okay. okay. So uh, this is in a, a couple Sundays from now. Yeah, we'll talk. Katie, when let's let's talk. Your That's, people, talk to my people. We'll get it, it yeah. done. If, Which if is not pretty much Gmail accounts. <laughs> exactly. Rachel Barnhart, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. And we're going to come back and do a quick wrap up right after this. This is Transformation Thursday. Thank you. To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to TransformationThursday.com and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. And please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020 welcome back to transformation thursday i'm amy stevens and my pronouns are she her and i'm penny sterling and mine are she her as well you know, Penny, that was a fascinating conversation again with Rachel. And, you know, as we alluded to in our interview with her, we love having her on. And you were just mentioning this off air is, boy, she really speaks her mind and tells you like it is, doesn't she? And she does it so well. And it's like she speaks in paragraphs the way other people speak in sentences. And she's nuanced and just she talks I don't want to say this like it's a bad thing, but she talks so much, but she has so much to say, and it's all so intelligent. It's just fascinating. Sometimes I don't, I've kept on forgetting, oh, wait, I should probably be asking her a question here because she's just so smart and, and passionate, and it's not a sexy idea. It's not a sexy thought, but it's really, really necessary, and the fact that she has the, the drive to do that is really impressive. Yeah, and those paragraphs were amazing as she was speaking them because I had a list of about 15 questions, and I think she checked off almost every one just before, and I we yeah. couldn't even get to him she but she she hit him all pretty much so she knows her stuff inside out and backwards yeah for me for me the the the, the best shows are the ones where we talk the least and so i think this may be one of our best shows ever yep. yeah you know that 80 20 rule and i think we're definitely on the low side of 20 there for this one so yeah that's, that's and it's really worthwhile so that's gonna be a really fun show and i'm i'm, I'm really glad that i i roped uh, Rachel into guest hosting with you because I think that's going to be a really fascinating hour or so of you guys, whatever you come up with. I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's going to be editing it. So I'm going to be hearing it anyhow, but I, even if I wasn't, I would, I would tune in for that because, uh, I think that's going to be a lot of fun for everybody. Yeah, I think so too. Hopefully we can find something that, you know, is passionate for both of us. And I think we'll probably be able to, with so much going on in politics right now. But, you know, what I walk away from this episode is, you know, a lot of times, you know, people, when we were talking about this and they say those people over there and the people that are saying that those people, you know, they were, are usually white people. Mm -hmm. And I've said it before in the past and I've had to check my privilege and really look at this. But, you know, when, she, when she pulled out that map, and we were talking about that, the map of like where the digital desert is here. Yeah, the crescent of poverty. The crescent of poverty. 
that directly overlaps with the redlining maps from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s of where banks would not borrow to people who lived in the, in the neighborhoods here in the city. And so this is systematic levied oppression that, you know, if we can find something as simple as providing these these different type of households that are different from, I don't know how I want to say this. Yeah, they, you're, getting, you're getting lost in the weeds there. Yeah, but if we can provide them as something as simple as the internet to help them. I think we, I think we, I think, it, and it makes the city a better place to live, a better place to do business. And we can see economic development from that. That's a fantastic opportunity. Just look at Chattanooga as Rachel was talking about. Yeah, all I know about Chattanooga is they've got a choo-choo, but that's all. But anyhow, oh, well, it's true. That's a groaner. I was. I'm, I'm a groaner. I'm an old lady. So, yeah, uh, so that, that, that I'm going to spare our listeners any more of those bad things by signing off now. So, thanks for listening to Transformation Thursday, and uh, we'll be back again in a week. Good night, Amy. Good night, Penny.